0: Our scripture today is from Acts chapter 26, verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian.
1: Good morning again, church. Hello to those online as well. And uh, you're welcome. You've had a whole list, a whole series of great uh, scripture readings these uh, weeks, and you're welcome. That's all I got to say. Merry Christmas. So, a little early for you. Well, as we uh, continue today, uh, we are in the sermons of John Wesley, and uh, hopefully you've enjoyed that last week. We're going to be doing kind of the same idea. If you weren't with us, uh, just to kind of catch you up, we've been looking at the sermons of John Wesley. We're doing uh, John Wesley's Greatest Hits, Volume One, uh, which is basically. Pastor of some of his favorites is really what that means, when greatest hits uh, in that. But uh, we'll be looking at actually not only Sermon 1 from last week of his 53 standard sermons that he gave to his pastor. He said, hey, if you're going to preach something, preach this. And when he did that, he didn't mean like literally take a sermon and literally preach it, you know, every 53 weeks and then continue and repeat it. What he meant was this is the most important things. These are the things, if you're going to get right, if you're going to share the gospel with people, share these things and make these the priority and make sure that these never fall from your lips. And we're going to be looking at uh, sermon, it's really witty, number two here today in the list of sermons of 53. As we're here today, uh, I want to say just a few different reads, uh, moments before we jump in, is that um, when I went to seminary, of course part of seminary was reading through the 53 standard sermons and reading all through them. And uh, I got to do that both in the original language of John Wesley, as well as, you know, a modernized version of kind of updated things. But one of the, the things that fascinated me about it was how many times we refer to John Wesley's sermons, and they're pretty repetitive, right? And what I mean by that is that if you read through it, you might be struck by this. If you ever read them in order, you go, didn't he just basically take this whole section from his previous sermon and just kind of reword it and just say it again? And uh, the truth is, is yes, he kind of did, but there's a few things to keep in mind when he was doing this. Because first of all, when you read the, through the sermons, they didn't happen necessarily week after week, right? And in fact, these first few that are a number of them actually from the 53 Standard Sermons were actually preached by him at university, specifically Oxford University, to other clergy, to other faculty on the different schools of Oxford. And it was at St. Mary's there before university that he preached both last week and this week that we'll be hearing today. Now, it is important to maybe understand that last week he preached in the, the year 1738 Today was 1741. So, of course, to them, it didn't feel like they had just heard it when he preached it again. What's also interesting about that is uh, a lot of theologians and, and a lot of church leaders of this history have tried to make like a summa theologica. What we mean by that is they try to write out every last detail of their theology. John Wesley didn't try to do that. He said, here's the main things. I'm going to focus on them. And not only that, he didn't try to ever try to make just a single book to say This is what I need to preach. Instead, he used his time doing other things. Uh, Specifically, he used most of his time, that is, to especially use a lot of that time to be uh, very, I guess, administrative, but I mean that in a positive way. I mean that he used it to organize class meetings and band meetings and to spend his time, instead of writing a Summa Theologica so that we could all read it and not feel like we're reading repetitive things over and over again, he simply bound up 53 sermons and said, here's the theology more or less. And then he went on and said, hey, but what we need to do for life transformation to happen, it's not my sermons. For life transformation to happen, we need people to get into small groups. if you will. We called them that today. He called them class meeting, band meeting. They need to share life together, even to the point where they admit their sin together and do their best to hold each other accountable and love and to have this transformation happen in the setting of a small group of people that know you better sometimes than even you know yourself. Because when you're before them, you lay yourself out." Your bear that is, and so John Wesley and these—if you may hear some of this today—may sound a little familiar from last week as we get through it. But uh, just know that pretend like it's been three years since I preached last week, and you get kind of the feeling. It also is probably poignant to say that sometimes um, academia doesn't quite get it and argue with it, and so there's probably a good chance that he's saying a lot of these things again because he's continuing to argue the point and some of the main points that he had from last week. With all that being said, let's go to the Lord in a prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the words of Wesley retold here today,
0: Lord, may they not only be of you, but convict our very hearts. Once again, not only turn towards you, not only repent, but also, God, be filled with the fullness of the promises of Scripture here and now. Amen.
1: For I should also mention here today that uh, John Wesley, although obviously he loves Scripture, would use it in his sermons. And many of times when he's quoting Scripture, he doesn't actually just try to ex- exegete it like maybe sometimes we do today. And in fact, as he jumps off this sermon today, he's coming from the book of Acts. And specifically, this is towards the end of the book of Acts. Paul has been imprisoned a number of times now. He's actually now on trial. And basically, he said, uh, he got actually, he's been left in jail for a while in those days. He got kind of left in jail as, as you're waiting for your sentence or waiting for your trial, if you will. And so he's been left in, in basically jail for a bit. They've come and got him, and they say, hey, Paul, why are you even here? We don't even remember anymore. Like, the guy that puts you in jail, like, he's gone. We don't even know. And so Paul kind of tells him the story, presents the gospel to him. And it says in the scripture there that King Agrippa said to him, and specifically in our, New King, our King James Version that is here today, it says to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And many of our modern translations, if you go and look it up, will say, Paul, you're short in a short amount of time, you're trying to convince me to be a Christian, right? And so they kind of come off a little different. But John Wesley took these words, thinking about that idea of almost being a Christian. And he jumped off with that to challenge all of us here today. And so, in John Wesley's own words, after he read this verse, that almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, he said, and many there were that go thus far, ever since the Christian religion was in the world. There have been many in every age and nation who are almost, almost persuaded to be Christians. But seeing that it avails nothing before God to only go thus far, it highly imports us to consider, these are his own words, first, what is implied by almost? And secondly, what does it mean to be an altogether Christian? Now as you read through Wesley, he's going to start off with these idea. Let's first look at this idea. What does it mean to be implied, almost, right? If you think about that idea, what does it mean to be an almost Christian? We would never use that terminology, I think, in today's world. We just simply say, you know, the other maybe ways of saying different things. But he was really concerned with this. Like, what if the promises of the Bible are so great that we only claim so many of them, right? We're missing out. It's almost like if you won the lottery and you had a grand, huge paycheck and you said, ah, I'm going to go with the first hundred bucks, it's fine. Keep the rest, right? No, why would anybody do that, right? There's a whole grand promise of Scripture. Surely you want the whole enchilada, if you will when you come to Scripture. And so John Wesley was very concerned with this. And he says, okay, let's describe an almost Christian. Here's some ideas of an almost Christian. First of all, they act good, just like a normal good person would in any society. right? They don't steal goods. They don't do theft. They don't oppress the poor. They don't exert themselves over other people or cheat or overreach or or you know, undo the poor, if you will. They don't defraud to another their rights. And if it's all possible, they don't even owe anybody anything. To take care of themselves and do their best to even have enough for others. He says, and also, not only that, but an almost Christian would do these things as well. They would not only do this, but they would also enjoy it true. They would not speak lies. They would not only enjoy the truth, but want to be part of the truth and search for others for that truth. Not only that, but they would do good things, right? Just a good person in any society, an almost Christian, if you would, would still do good things no matter where they were in the world. There would be all sorts of things. They would look at their fellow man and have mercy on them. If they were hungry, they would bring food. If they had food to spare, of course, they would share it. If they saw people naked or needing clothes and they had enough, they would give. And especially in any other thing that person would need, they would give in that. Not only that, but what also is implied by almost Christian is this idea. This always chills me to say it when I say it, because it makes me do a lot of introspection, and maybe you as well. The almost Christian is the having the form of godliness,
0: in other words, on the outside, a Christian. But on the inside, lacking.
1: They, for instance, do all the things Scripture demands. They don't take the Lord's God name in vain. They don't communicate with promises or vows. They simply say yea or nay. They, they don't dis- discomfort the day of the Lord and applaud those that, that try to keep it. They don't do any adultery or fornication or uncleanness. They abstain from all sorts of detractions and backbiting and tail I love that, that word, tail-bearing, evil speaking, and from all things foolishness of talking and justice. In other words, as he would say in Scripture, he would say, not only do they stay away from those things, they stay away from those things that are not good and edifying, those things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, see, so we go on and say, hey, you know, they don't even drink, right? Somebody that's almost Christian may not even indulge in wine. There's no revelry or gluttony in them. They may not, also when they are wrong, may not try to avenge themselves. They don't brawl, they don't scoffer, they don't willingly hurt or do grieve any man in their own volition. And they do good, not only just cheap good, but the good that's really costly good, right? They go through and reprove the wicked, they instruct the ignorant, they confirm the wavering, they quicken the good, they comfort the afflicted. And in fact, if we look at all these things, you'd say, wow, that's a pretty good person, right? But not only that, the almost Christian, he'd go even further. He would say these things even about them. They could even be the person that would go through what he calls the means of grace. We're going to get to that in another sermon later on for the means of grace. But basically what he's saying is doing all the churchy things, right? All the things that you go and experience God in a regular and, and way. They would do things like taking all the opportunities to frequent coming into church. They would do all the things, and when they come, they're not just careless or listless. They they come with their full attention, and they give the seriousness of the moment, their solemn consideration of their own life. They even do family prayer. And in all these things, he'd say they'd even be sincere. What he means by that is an almost Christian would even say and want that principle of religion, right? That it wouldn't just be an outward thing, but something they want inside. One of the things that he quotes is this old time saying that we don't really use anymore, but he says it here, that good men avoid sin because they love virtue. The wicked men avoid sin from the fear of punishment. In other words, someone who's an almost Christian still loves virtue, still loves these things, does all these things out of even a sincere heart. And then he would ask these questions. They have a hearty desire to do this. Now, if you're with me, you would say, walks like a duck. It quacks like a duck. It even has sincerity like a duck. Isn't it a duck, uh, Mr. Wesley, right? Like I mean, I mean, just think about if our world was filled with those type of people alone, it would be a way better place. Like if every single person was at least in that moment, we would just feel, I mean, just the amount of things that would go wrong in the world would be set right and alone. Yet Wesley, I want to read you his exact words in this paragraph. But here it is possibly, probably to be inquired. Is it possible that any man living... Go this far and thus, and nevertheless, be only an almost Christian. What more can there be implied by being a Christian altogether? He first answers, First, I answer this that it is possible to go this far, yet be only an almost Christian. I learn not only from the oracles of God as in the scripture and the teachings, but also from the sure testimony of experience. Then he's going to set aside here. He You can imagine, like an academia, you don't necessarily do this back in the day. But he said, Hey, guys, I got to tell you, this isn't just head, heady academia stuff. Like, this is my own life. He comes out and he says, I was this person, right? This is who I was, doing all the things I just said, and yet I was still just an almost. And I even knew in those moments that I yearned for something greater. And then here are his words, yet again. He would say, I did go this far for many years as many of this place can testify, using diligence to eschew all evil and to have a, consci- a conscience, that is, to avoid all, all offense, redeeming the time, buying up every opportunity to do good to all men and constantly and carefully using all the public and private means of grace, endeavoring after a steady and serious behavior at all times and all places, and God is my record before whom I stand, doing this all with sincerity. Having a real design to serve God, a hearty desire to do his will and to please him, to fight that good fight, yet my own conscience bare with, within my witness in the Holy Ghost, that this time I was almost Christian. So in other words, this wasn't just head knowledge for John Wesley. He wanted the church and the people of the church, the leaders of the church in that day to remember it wasn't just about those almost Christian things. There was more to the story that had to be there. And if it was there, the life-giving possibilities that would happen remember one of the famous stories of John Wesley, of course, was that he was a pretty troubled pastor at first. I'm going to take a break from his sermon here itself, but to remember what he's talking about when he says these words. He did all sorts of things for God. He got on a boat, went to America to preach the gospel to Native Americans, right? He basically came back with a tail between his legs because it went horribly for him. He got his heart broken and actually made a fool of himself. And love out of a woman that he wanted to marry, that basically turned his affections down. He was a washed-up has-been, if you will, in that moment. Yet he pursued after God. Yet even, and it was that he continued to do these different deals that I talked about, being in class meetings with more other people. A lot of them being not only Methodists that we think of, but also Moravians and other people. And in fact, one night he was invited and went to a a small group meeting where they were together and. meeting was him and a bunch of other people, but there were a lot of Moravians that were there as well. And as they were there talking, someone got up and started reading from just the introduction of Martin Luther's book, an explanation on the Book of Romans, as the expository. And they just read from the introduction, and as Martin Luther's words were just read in that meeting, John Wesley said, my heart was strangely warm. May go on and talk about that day being the day where the blessed assurance of God was in his heart in a unique way that he had never felt before, always yearned for. He looked on that day, it's actually May 24th of 1738, which of course is before this sermon was preached, right, a few years before. And so when he preached, actually, it was actually before even the first sermon we looked at last week. And so when he's preaching these things, he's not just preaching idly academic thought or what he thinks of scripture, he's preaching his own life experience. I'm saying, Christians, don't just go this far. There's more, right? In fact, what is that more is his next question because I know you're dying to know, like I would know, right? And uh, how I read as well. So John Wesley, what is the more, right? And so in Guess, of course, what is that more that must be there? And first of all, he says very simply, the love of God. In other words, when he starts with a few things, but the first thing he starts with is this love of God. He remembers that, or scriptures, of course, that point to that you're called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Such a love of this, it engrosses the whole heart, it rakes up all affections, it fills the entire cap- capacity of one's soul, and employs the utmost extent to all faculties. He that loves the Lord His spiritual content continually says, Rejoice in the God, his Savior. He delights in the Lord, for the Lord is in all in all, and in everything he gives thanks. It's the type of heart that looks at God and says, Whom have I but Thee?" And this great Lord that continues to answer. Not only love for God, but he'd say, you know what? An almost Christian may not have that love for God in that manner, but a almost Christian may not have love for God and neighbor as well. So his answer is that in order to be a true Christian, an altogether Christian, be filled up with love for God. Be filled up with love for your neighbor, he would say. You shall love the neighbor as thyself. That's interesting that he points out, he doesn't kind of does this a uh, little bit underneath the radar, but before Jesus came around, it was a popular saying, the golden rule. And, and I think we kind of all know that, but the golden rule existed long before Jesus, except it was flipped upside down. I don't know if you guys remember this part of history, but. The golden rule actually went like this. It said, do not do unto others as you would not have them do unto you, right? You don't have to be good to someone. Just don't kill them, right? Just don't, don't take their stuff, right? <laughs> it's kind of what it said, right? Like, don't, don't do all the bad things that everybody goes, ooh, that feels really bad. It didn't really have the, the positive aspect of it. And Jesus, when he came around, quotes it, but totally flips it, right? It basically said, not only don't do the bad things, do good. And John Wesley, it's in his sermon kind of here because of what he said before. He actually quotes the do not do unto good unto others, and now he quotes the do good unto others section. Then he asks, of course, well, who is my neighbor? And he says, every man of the world, every woman, every child, anyone who the Father has put spirit in all their flesh, all the flesh of the world, those are your neighbor." Now, it's hard uh, in our day because there's, a, there's kind of a different, two ways of thinking about love and the love that God has for us. Kind of one of those ideas of love is this idea, is that does the love of God that God wants us to have for each other is it one of these things that accepts and celebrates every aspect of another person's life. Another thought would be, is love that God calls us to do is to love that person even though you think that something of their life may be still in the bondage of sin. So which one is truly the love of God? Well, we're not going to answer that today, but I just want to point that out that as we're hearing this day, no matter which way you fall on that and which way you think about it, He's going to go on to quote the apostle paul in corinthians he says that love for neighbor should look like this whichever way you fall it's got to at least have these qualities in it it must be long-suffering and kind it cannot envy it cannot be rashy or hasty or judging it cannot be puffed up it cannot be that him that loves the least the servant of all that love it cannot be unseemly it can has to be all things to all men, and must seek it to do not only their own good, but others as well. It must be the love that is not provoked, that casteth wrath out, the one that has wanting and love, that thinks no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. It covers all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now those are two, right? So we got love, but love for God. That makes an altogether Christian. Love for our neighbors, that makes another part of the altogether Christian. And then the third part of the altogether Christian is this. You kind of heard it before, but he would say, very simply, faith. Now again, what does he mean by faith? Because this other person, this altogether Christian, didn't they go to church, didn't they they do prayer, didn't they do all these things? But he said, no, this type of faith specifically, right? Not just the faith that has that outward sign, or even sincerity of faith, but the faith of which bringeth forth repentance and love and good works. because if it's not that faith, then it's not the true faith. It's the faith that believes the Holy Scriptures and the articles of faith, as to quote them. It believes in the sure trust and confidence to be saved from everlasting damnation by Christ. It is the sure trust and confidence which a man hath in God that by the merits of Christ his sins are forgiven that he reconciled to the favor of God, where doth flowing out of a loving heart to obey his commandments. It's that type of faith that you would say, go on to say, it purifies the heart, right? It's one of the things that John Wesley is really big on is not only the idea that we get saved and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and, and experience this love of Christ filled in our hearts, but that love in our hearts actually continually work through us. That as we go on about our daily lives, that all those things that aren't of God continually get regenerated, if you will. It's almost like you think about our, our hearts being almost dead and tissue or, or stone cold and hard, that God continues to massage it, right? He needs to break it up. He to bring life into it where it becomes this full and living thing again.
0: But this is the type of faith. And then you would ask,
1: where is the living witness of all these things? You can imagine John Wesley in that moment, he turns to a bunch of clergy, right? A bunch of people teaching the clergy, right? And a bunch of other academics of his day that were very well respected. At Oxford, before the academia,
0: John Wesley said these words.
1: Would each of you ask his own heart? Am I the number that I only go so far to practice justice, mercy, truth, as even really anybody in the world would do? Do I just have the outside form of a Christian, a form of godliness? Do I even abstain evil as much as just even heathen people do? Do I forbid the written word of God? Do I do whatever good I can with my hands and to whom I can to do a good might in their lives? Do I seriously and use all those ordinances and opportunities to do? But Again, all that is just almost Christian, and you would say, some of us even feel convicted <laughs> this morning or even on that morning that I don't even feel like the altogether, almost Christian in those moments. He would say to them, but supposing you had felt that you were an almost Christian. Do you do those goods that dire, that, like, do you want that good that desires that God wants to be an altogether Christian? He's going to ask some words in your heart. Is the love of God shed abroad in your heart? Can you cry out, "God, my God, my all? You desire to be nothing to him? You are nothing but him that is, are you happy in God? Is He your glory, your delight, your crown of rejoicing? And his commandment is that written in your heart that whoever loveth God love his brother also? He'd go on to ask many other questions, but he would calm that. He would instill that into the people's lives of his day, and today he'd still echo that today. We cheat ourselves by becoming almost Christians. Do we want the full blessing to be all together. In other words, John Wesley, to put in modern day's time, would say, hey, go the full mile. right? Don't stop, Christian. Go, Christian, go. And he'd cheer you on. I know his words kind of sound harsh, but he loved the people. And his words weren't meant to get people to go, oh, I'm such a bad person. This, I just need to forget this. His words were meant to inspire, to provoke, to prod along, and to bring all of us to that idea that we'd want to flee towards God, want to be That true Christian that would have all these elements, born of their life, but especially that of love of God, love of neighbor, and the faith that puts all trust into the work of Jesus Christ. That he would say, and you and I would say that is that Lord, you knowest all things. We could honestly say before God, you know my heart. God, you know, I love
0: you. I love my neighbor. I put my faith. In you. Unless these words spur us, unless these words may sound different in our day -day. today, well, he was punching out the grave and coming up here and preaching, I guarantee you, these first two sermons would be on his lips. Especially from his own life, remember,
1: he'd look at his own life and look back and say, there was more. Before Aldersgate experience, where my heart was warm, there was more and I was searching for it and yearning for. It. I would say, good Christian, continue on. Continue on to find more love of God in your life. Continue on to find more love of God for neighbor. Continue on to find that faith in God that puts all trust in what he would do in your life. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your love. God, and we are spurned once again by Wesley's words. Maybe if some of us in this room would say, you know what, truly, if I just look even at the world, I don't even feel like I'm even living up to their standards. Our oh, Lord, in maybe ways, there's so many ways that we ourselves try to earn our way to your love or try to, Lord, earn your blessing. In so many ways, we try to use our own fruit of actions to garner your favor. Or maybe, God, we've been part of church for many years. As Wesley talks about his Aldergate experience, or Wesley mentions this altogether Christian, it still feels like something we've never experienced ourselves.
0: God, wherever we may find ourselves, whether it be on this journey of sanctification, or maybe before that moment, God, we surrender to you. We
1: put our trust in Jesus Christ. We cling to that cross and the blood that was shed on You put our hope in the resurrection because it was the power of God
0: made manifest in this world. And God, as we're here today,
1: we want to be filled with your love. Love for you that just conquers all of what we yearn for in our life that fulfills the very heart and soul and the cookie cutter shape that's God-shaped in our souls. That it would be filled totally with you. Out of that love and knowing, Lord, your love for us, that it would spur us to love one another. God, again, in our day and age, there's different kind of ideas of what that love looks like, but Lord, let it be filled with current things. The Apostle Paul's words, He admonished us with so many different attributes of what that love should look like. And finally, God, lead our church to always be faithful to
0: you. We pray all this. In Jesus' name. Amen.